Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. Making the playoffs used to be a regular thing for fans in western New York. But after the Music City Miracle, it took 17 seasons for those same fans to see a postseason return for the Buffalo Bills. Can the Bills get back to the playoffs, or are they one and done? Sean Murphy from Buffalo Rumblings joins us on the AFC East preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. Team number three in our AFC East preview takes us to Western New York and the home of the Buffalo Bills. What's going on, everybody? Larity back for the third part of our AFC East preview. Going to have Sean Murphy from SB Nation's Buffalo Rumblings joining us here in just a few minutes to help us preview this team that is um, wasn't supposed to make the playoffs last year, and and you know, or at least. From the moves that they made, you wouldn't think this was a team that would basically weather the storm and make a playoff run uh, like they did last year. This was a team that was a first-year head coach uh, in Sean McDermott. They they t- stole him from the from the Panthers, uh, a, a brand new general manager that they got after the draft. I mean, the GM went through the draft and they you know like April or May or whatever they hire a brand new uh, GM. They trade away Sammy Watkins. They start making these moves all over the place, sending you know team you know what, what was considered to be key pieces of the team off to other uh, teams and like building towards the future. Like coming into this year's draft, they had two first round picks, two or three second round pick. They were building up draft capital, which is something that you do when you're looking to you know make your roster a little, you know, get your roster younger, uh, you know, so that you can, you know, start building a foundation for the future. Uh, And instead, uh, the Bills were able to still have enough pieces left over. Sean McDermott did a a great job coaching the players that he did have, got them to a nine and seven record and put them in the, uh, in the playoffs. I mean, they were a one and done team in the wildcard round against the Jaguars, who, if they'd have played in the second half of the AFC championship game, should have gone to the Super Bowl last year. And uh, played them tougher than just about anybody else did uh, in the in those playoffs. It was a a ten to three defensive battle between the Jags and the Bills. Uh, it was um, not the most exciting game to watch, but a lot of good football being played there uh, for the most part. And here they are, you know, uh, they make a move that a rebuilding team makes by you know trading some of that draft capital to get a quarterback uh, and things like that, and yet. Here they are. They're probably better off than they were a year ago at this time, and uh, you know, not not you know too much different from the team that made the playoffs last year. Could they do it again? I mean, they're in the AFC East, so for the most part, everybody's playing for second place 
in that division and with how unpredictable the the AFC uh, AFC conference, you know, altogether can be, it's not completely out of the realm of the possibility that if Buffalo manages to go 9 and 7 again that they could make a return to the playoffs. So it's not an unlikely scenario for that to happen because this is the AFC that we're talking about. Anything can happen out there. So we'll see what what goes on with them and we'll get Sean Murphy's take on uh, all of those things um before the uh before the show is done so um real quick before we have our guest on the show a couple of quick uh news and notes i want to go over with you real quick uh i am day by day uh falling in love with uh anthony miller uh he might be i haven't had a chance to see him play yet but his off the field antics uh on social media uh he's he's slowly creeping in to be my man crush of 2018 that is uh, that is slowly happening uh, because Anthony Miller has fired back at D'Angelo Williams. Um, apparently, there was a segment on um, D'Angelo Williams, the running back or former running back for the Panthers, and um, somebody did a segment on like Good Morning Football or something like that on on the NFL Network, saying five reasons why the Bears will make the playoffs this year. So I didn't get to see that, but uh, D'Angelo Williams. Um, tweeted to the guy that did the segment or whatever um i'll give you five words why they won't make the playoffs they are the chicago bears to which anthony miller replied boy don't mess with us or don't play with us or something like that it's like you gotta love it you gotta love it it's like you don't even know bro you don't know what's going on over here we are setting it up to get it done you just like i said it's it's not arrogance. It's it's not cocky. It's confidence. I, it, I don't, maybe I'm reading it through rose-colored glasses because he's one of our guys. But how many bears are doing stuff like this? I mean, I think I'm more. Maybe I'm. Maybe that's why I'm seeing it the way that I am because this is a guy that's actually putting himself out there the way that nobody else on the team has in a long time. Uh, you know, nobody's out there making these grand statements or, or saying anything like that, or at least saying it in a way that makes you want to believe them. You know, like when, when I talked about it last week about how he was saying that, you know, four touchdowns doesn't sound like quite enough. Eight sounds more like the, the, the real number. So it's going to be eight touchdowns this year, not just four. I'm going to get eight and saying it in a way that makes you think like he believes he's going to score eight touchdowns this year. Not like, nah, dog, eight touchdowns. That's no problem. Or, you know, I'm gonna get eight touchdowns. It just, the way that it, that I read it, you know, having not had the chance to hear him actually say it, but you know, it sounds more like confidence, like the belief in himself to be able to do it as opposed to cockiness, which is more like, in my opinion, trying to convince someone of your greatness kind of thing. And um, for him to, to snap back it, at D'Angelo Williams, who then kind of gave credit where credit is due, saying like, you know, you know, he he could be. I, I guess someone asked him if they thought he could be a Rookie of the Year uh, candidate. He's like, hell yeah, he could be, and that's a direct quote. He could be Offensive Rookie of the Year, but he thinks that the Bears have other shortcomings he won't be able to cover up. So that's his justification for why he thinks the Bears won't be a playoff team uh, in 2018. But uh, I just love the way that Miller was like, man, you don't you don't. Don't don't mess with us, bro. You know, don't play with us. Or, you know, whatever. Uh, the way that he, I forget exactly how he put it, but it was. I loved reading it. It was pretty cool, and uh, I'm liking this the way that this this kid is approaching things. I'm 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 digging it so far. So can't wait to see him get in there and actually put some of that talk 
to practice, you know, or put it into motion or what have you. And, um, you know, but uh, slowly but surely, you know, 17 is going to be one of my favorite players again, only it'd be Anthony Miller instead of uh, Alshon this time around. And um, speaking of uh, players making predictions for the season, Bobby Massey, our uh, much maligned right tackle, who is uh, good one day and mediocre the rest of them, uh, or so it would be. Hopefully we can get him straightened out this year. Uh, well, it is the third year of a three-year deal, so I mean, one way or another, we're we're done with him in 2018. Um, this is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my! Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Says that he believes, due to his athleticism and and, and what have you, Mitch Trubisky, our, our beloved starting quarterback, going into his first full year as a starter who's had all of the offseason and everything to to learn. I mean, I know he's learning a new offense just along with everybody else, but he's been the number one guy from moment one as opposed to after getting drafted, knowing he's number two, taking number two reps and all the rest of that stuff. He believes that uh, Trubisky is good for 40 to 60 yards on the ground a game. So scrambling and all the rest of that stuff, Trubisky's going to get us a handful of first downs every week. He says he can average 40 to 60 yards uh, per game. And uh, for those of you keeping score at home, that is anywhere from, you know, 60 yards a game for 16 games is 960 yards. Uh, On the low end, 40 yards would be 640. I don't think even Tariq Cohen ran for 640 yards last year on a team that ran the ball way more than it threw it, if if my math is correct. But, uh, you know, that's uh, quite a bold prediction. Or or either that or a ringing endorsement of what he feels Mitch is capable of uh, on the ground. So let's let's go with that. But um, nonetheless, that was his prediction for what he thinks Trubisky can do on the ground. You know, throwing lanes aren't there. You know, pocket is collapsing. Trubisky will get you a first down. Or, you know... That, that kind of thing. The receivers run the linebackers out of the zone. Boom, Trubisky's going to get an easy first down, something like that. So, um, you know, if you look back at that run that he made against Detroit 
the one on fourth and 13 where he got about 17 yards for the first down and gave the Bears a chance to kick a game-tying field goal. Thank you very much, Counter Barth. Um, you know, you, you see that. And think about the athleticism that he showed on that throw to uh, Kendall Wright that got us the first down to kick the game-winning field goal in overtime against the Ravens. Uh, you know, other things like that. The, the run that he had against the Saints, you know, that I thought was very reminiscent of Aaron Rodgers where, you know, he showed the smarts that, you know, people think I'm just going to run out of bounds, so I'm going to keep running until somebody runs me out of bounds. And if that doesn't happen, that I'll just keep running until I score uh, kind of thing. What, what people thought was going to be like maybe a five or six yard scramble turned into a, like a 25 yard run because nobody was really trying to come get him. You know, nobody was trying to run him off the field or, or get him to give himself up or anything like that. And he just kept going until somebody tried to stop him. Then he gave himself up, ran out of bounds, that kind of thing. But, you know, you string a couple of those runs together and 40 yards wouldn't be that difficult to pull off. 60 might be a little trickier considering we have those stallions that we have in the backfield. But, uh, you know, 40 yards a game might not be too crazy uh, to be able to, to pull that off, um, you know, when a decent scramble can get you at least 12 yards or something like that. You know what I mean? So anyway, it, it could be something, you know, I don't know if, if true, if Massey believes that though that amount of yardage is possible, or if he's just saying that to give Trubisky his props for being a, a nimble on his feet. So uh, time will tell how close we can get to that uh, prediction. And then finally, it was announced today. Today being uh, Monday, there was a video released by the Bears uh, on Bears.com. I was uh, tagged in face on Facebook by uh, Malcolm Fell, who's one of our longtime listeners and is slowly working himself out of my friend zone uh, by tagging me on a, a video that uh, the Bears are announcing the uh, official unveiling of the orange jerseys on Friday the uh, 15th with the caption and I quote Larry get hype exclamation point I will not get hype no I will not I am not looking forward to it because I'm 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 certain we're gonna see those god-awful jerseys more than once this year will they take the place of the throwback 1940 jerseys um, that I don't hate uh that i i love compared to the goddamn orange ones but um yeah uh i know we're gonna see those things at least twice this year i think hopefully not on anything special just let it be some random one o'clock game against the buccaneers a game nobody cares about <laughs> let it be one of those games don't let it be the thanksgiving game against detroit or, or anything like please don't do that to me not on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday because you got football, you got food, you got family. It doesn't really get much better than that. And, uh, you know, don't don't ruin it with uh, with orange jerseys on my favorite team. Don't don't do that. I, I please don't. So either way, we get our first look at them and, and what they I don't know what's if they're going to if they're going to let Nike do something, you know, and design the diff, you know, a different jersey, you know, be some be a be a true alternative jersey or are they going to be like they were before which is basically just inverting the the jersey you know got you got white numbers with the navy trim and an orange jersey you know like they used to wear 
uh, previous, uh, before they were retired, before the 2010 season, I believe. But, um, yeah, they're coming. So, it's, yeah. I'll still cheer for them, but I'll do it with my eyes covered. I swear to God. Anyway, on that note, we're going to go ahead and shut it down and step aside and get ready for our guest, Sean Murphy from SB Nation's Buffalo Rumblings, to help us preview the 2018 Buffalo Bills. Part number three of our AFC East preview takes us to Western New York and the Buffalo Bills. And to help us uh, preview this 2018 Buffalo Bills team, Sean Murphy from Buffalo Rumblings and SB Nation. Sean, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you for having me, Larry. So, Sean, what we like to do with all of our new friends uh, is to find out, especially the bloggers that we do have on the show. Uh, do you do the podcast as well, the Buffalo Rumblings podcast? No, actually, I don't. Okay. Uh, John, and I'm going to butcher his name. It's it's John uh, Boccasino, I believe, is how you pronounce it. It's okay. our uh, podcast guy, along with Anthony Marino. They both do a good job. All right. So, but you, you do write for, for Buffalo Rumblings for, for SB Nation. It yes. has been my experience in the four years that I have been doing interviews that almost none of the writers that I've interviewed uh, for any website, and SB Nation seems to hang pretty closely to this, none of you guys actually live in the market of the team that you're actually <laughs> supporting. You know, my, my friend for, for right. Denver, she lives in South Carolina. Uh, the guy that I spoke to just last week, Kevin Nogle from, from Finsiders, lives in Colorado. So, I mean, you guys seem to live on opposite ends of the country. I see from your Skype location you're actually in New York. Are you close to Buffalo, or how does that work? Well, I'm actually I'm about an hour and a half north of New York City, so okay. I'm actually I'm in the middle of of Jets Giants country. Oh wow! So yeah, so for me to get to Buffalo, I actually it's closer to get to uh, to Boston to go see the Patriots than it is for me to go to Buffalo, which oh, is not something God. I like to admit freely, but right. it it is the truth. Wow. Yeah. Well, so there you go. You, you, you fall. You're the rule and not the exception. That's it. Being off into another market uh, as opposed to being being near Buffalo to, to take part in actual, you have to go somewhere to watch the games, don't you? Yes, yeah, no, I mean, for the last bunch of years, my father, because he's a Bills fan too, so I've, uh, I've sat on his couch and watched the majority of the games, but there's, uh, there's a few local establishments where we've, we've brought a, a small section of Bills Mafia <laughs> in, in, the, in the southern tier portion, or in the southern New York portion, where we've been able to find ourselves a couple of hangouts if you will nice nice so and then um the other thing that i like to ask is um you know as a your fan i'm assuming lifelong buffalo Bills. yes yeah as, as long as i've been following football great and so do you have a favorite memory as a bills fan uh one of my first ones honestly i was i was seven years old not even i was six and uh the the bills were playing the houston oilers in a wild card playoff oh. game and my mother really wanted my dad to go outside and take the Christmas decorations down. And he looked at her and he said, Deb, you know, the Bills are playing in the playoffs, gotta watch the game. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's it's twenty eight to three Houston at halftime. And I'm I'm six. So I'm looking at my father's just going, It's over. It's over. And I'm like, No, Dad, they they're gonna come back and he's like, Yeah, okay. 
I said, come on, just watch this first part. And then, you know, the first drive, Frank Reich throws an interception that gets returned for a touchdown. Bubba he starts, Yes, he starts throwing stuff, and, and he's like, I'm going outside, whatever. So, I'm again, I'm six. I don't think they're going to lose. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to watch the game. They're going to win this. And they, they score a touchdown, and I'm banging on the window, and I'm trying to hand signal him the score. And he's, like, looking at me and waving to me. And then they get another touchdown after the, the fire drill, the Christie onside kick. So it's 35-17, I'm banging on the window. It's 35-24, I'm banging on the window. Finally, he comes in and he screams at me. And he's like, Sean, you're going to break my window. Stop doing that. And I said, but, Dad, it's 35-24, and there's still seven minutes left in the third quarter. And he goes, what? And then he stopped taking the Christmas decorations down, and we watched the rest of the game. It was It's clear as day. Like, it happened to me yesterday. I'll never forget it. And wow. I was hooked at that point. Yeah, that was a, uh, that was a pretty painful memory for me. Um, even as a Bears fan, after Walter Payton retired in the late 80s, the, the mm -hmm. player that, that next drew my attention was Warren Moon. And He's a great player. So, oh, he was fantastic. And he was, you know, just the most amazing quarterback. He threw a football that you, you like, you see it in those NFL films with the slow motion and the mm -hmm. spiral, just the per beauty, just you know beauty in the game and right um so when when it won, when the bears didn't make the playoffs which unfortunately in that time was often um the oilers were always wanting the tops in the afc old afc central always in the playoffs and so of course i was closely watching that game knowing that the bills had i think made two super bowls in a row at that point maybe number three yes uh and, and whatnot and so going to Buffalo to win a playoff game that was going to be tough and um, I think this was like on New Year's Day that this game took place because I That's remember sounds that, right it was right around there yeah my buddy and I uh, were up late um, I was a freshman in high school so we were up late till like three or four in the morning we wake up the game had already started it's already halftime 28 to three we somehow slept through the first half of the game is 28-3. I'm stoked. The Oilers yep. are up 28-3 on Buffalo. The first play that we get to see, Bubba McDowell pick six. It's 35-3. It's like, well, pack your bags, Houston. It's You're going over. to the next round. And then slowly <laughs> but surely, I get to watch the whole thing crumble before my eyes. And for like the second or third year in a row, Warren Moon gets shorted in the playoffs because his, you know, his defense lets him down. And obviously, you know, the offense didn't do much of anything in the second half. Uh, they didn't score at all in the second half right. because yeah. I think they added a field goal, which you guys tied up to send it to overtime uh, and everything. But that was all the offense in the second half, scoring 28 points in the first uh, 30 minutes yeah, that, and such. Yeah, that was, but that was it. That game was a nightmare for me, <laughs> sitting there watching that. It's like, oh, this is this is awful. And then it's just, you know, it's always on one of those top 10 lists for greatest comebacks and and all the rest oh, of that oh, stuff. Yeah. So it, it's like the nightmare that just won't go away. And here you are bringing it up again. Sean. Right. It's... Well, yeah, sorry. Well, for me, it was the dream. The nightmare came a couple of weeks later when they when Buffalo went out and got trounced by Dallas in the Super Bowl the first right. time. So that was yeah, oh, that's yeah. my recurring nightmare. Yeah, that was bad, that game. <laughs> yeah. That was just awful. It was. So, okay. So there we go. That's uh, We've established, you know, memories and, and whatnot. But... Um, 2017, we were talking just briefly before we started recording, and with yeah. everything that Buffalo was doing heading into the season, they a brand-new head coach, they hire a brand-new GM after the draft, right? So it's not like he was there through the entire offseason program. 
right? Yeah, yeah, they had one. Doug Whaley was the general manager through the draft, and then they fired Whaley and the, almost all of, if not all of, the scouting staff immediately after. And they, they brought in Brandon Bean, also from Carolina, and mm-hmm. they just revamped the whole thing immediately. Right, so you got this brand-new head coach, brand-new GM, and then... They go on somewhat of a fire sale, trading away players. Sammy Watkins is gone. Kiko Alonso too, right? Uh, was... Alonso was a couple of off seasons okay, prior. So... It was it was Ronald Darby that they there dealt you go. to, to Philadelphia. Yeah, so I mean, we're we're selling guys off. We're acquiring draft picks. It looks like the Bills are preparing for you know to eat to eat dirt for the 2017 season and right. go forward in 2018 and and build from there and then. Uh, you guys go nine and seven and make the playoffs. Uh, yeah, you know, out of vir- virtually out of nowhere, because no, I don't think anyone was expecting the Bills to do what they did. And then there you go, nine and seven, you're in the playoffs, and uh, you know, break the longest streak in 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 the longest active streak in the NFL for making the playoffs. I mean, even the Browns yeah. have made the playoffs since the Music City Miracle uh, took place. Right. So there's got to be another nightmare for you. Oh um, gosh, that's the worst. I bet. I I still think it's a forward lateral. <laughs> oh, I can't. I just can't look at it. I am no, so not surprised to hear you say that. I really am. It's uh, no, of yeah. course, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, no, it's... that that whole thing was just it, the the whole every move, like you said, because they and they did they they acquired the draft picks and even us we they acquired players. They acquired a cornerback, EJ Gaines, from the Rams in return for Watkins who had been injured for the majority of the year prior, had missed an entire year with a knee injury, so we didn't know what to expect from him. Uh, From Philadelphia, they got back Jordan Matthews, who we figured that what they were looking for was Watkins was often injured, Matthews was always healthy, so they'd rather have a guy who's on the field than who wasn't. And then, of course, Watkins plays all 16 games out in L.A., and and Matthews breaks has thumb surgery, has knee surgery, has ankle surgery because Buffalo, and he and he misses eight of the sixteen games that he's on the roster for. Right. So that move almost didn't work out. But like you said, I mean, we all had the internal discussion. It was, what are these guys doing? Are they punting on twenty seventeen? And yeah. then they they come out five and two, and and we didn't even know what to think. I mean, you know, you start off the year with uh, with the win against the Jets. Uh, a yep. close loss at Carolina, nine to three. Then yeah. wins over at uh, Denver. A big win at Atlanta. Uh-huh. You know, to go three and one. You lose at Cincinnati. You got to buy. Then two teams that people thought were going to the playoffs, back to back wins. Tampa Bay and and Oakland, both home victories. But right. a big win over Oakland, thirty four to fourteen. You kind of blasted uh, the Raiders in that one. Then unfortunately, yeah. you got that mid season. Losing four out of five there, which uh, you know damaged your chances or made things interesting for the last right. four weeks of the season. Uh, at the Jets, lost to the Saints, then losing at uh, the Chargers before beating and, Kansas City, and which then, was great. And yeah, three of those the the three losses there defensively were three of the worst games I've ever watched at any level of football. They couldn't stop anyone i mean they were running backs running through holes that guys weren't getting touched until they were 9 10 11 yards down the field uh it, it was it was insane how the defense went from looking so good to so terrible and then they tightened right back up after that stretch yeah i mean it 
34, 47, and 54 were the point totals given up. Yeah, it was, it was by unreal. The defense in those games. You get back on track, only giving up 10 to the Chiefs and get the win. Uh, 23-3 loss to New England. And then right. that snowball against the Colts. That game was insane. <laughs> uh, 13-7, yeah. an overtime win there. You beat the Dolphins, um, lose again to New England, and then beat the Dolphins again. Uh, to finish out the year and get your nine and seven record, and then the best part of the final week of the season was watching the Bills watch the Bengals beat the Ravens to make the playoffs. Because yes. yeah. that that was like my favorite viral video of the week was watching you guys freak out when uh, when whoever it was with the Bengals scored that touchdown that put the Tyler game Boyd. out of reach. Tyler Boyd. <laughs> of course you're going to know who that is. Yep. But, you know, him yeah. scoring that touchdown and then watching the locker room explode because that meant the Ravens were out, you guys were in, you're going to the playoffs when, you know, you had to win and get help, and then you got the help you needed. Oh, and in the most unlikely fashion, too. I mean, we're we're watching the game and sitting there like, nope, not going to happen, not going to happen. <laughs> fourth and impossible. Yeah. And then I, it almost looked like the Baltimore guy just forgot to tackle him. Like, I mean, he's right there, and he just doesn't wrap up. Nothing happens, and the guy's running, and we're all – we were at a New Year's Eve party. We're all screaming, just go. I, I'm the only Bills fan there, but I feel like all the, all my buddies took pity on my soul at that point, and they just <laughs> they just wanted to finally stop ribbing me. I mean, they hadn't made the playoffs since I was in eighth grade, and now I've, I've taught eighth grade and high school for the last ten years. Wow. So, fi- so finally they're able to make it, and I'm just thanking everything that I can thank at that point. Yeah, that had to be pretty awesome. I mean, it's it's a long drought. I was when I was um, reading up on on last season. I was looking at uh, Wikipedia was one of the places I was looking, and right. like the last paragraph or the last sentence was like they were the last team since the realignment in two thousand two to make the playoffs. Oh, jeez, that's harsh. It's like wow. You, it's like I know put that it, that it was way, that's like, really rough. Yeah, it was the longest active streak in the league to miss out on the playoffs. But when you put it like that. Since yeah. the league was realigned in 2002, they're the only team that hasn't made the playoffs. Like, ouch, wow, to yeah, put that, it that, that way. means that, that, yeah, that means not only have the Texans made it, but new Browns have made it too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. So, yeah, I mean, it was like, wow. To, to, for someone to put that one together, it's like, wow, that's an amazing <laughs> stat right there. The yeah. last team since the league was realigned to finally make the playoffs. <laughs> Like, wow, we were 31 of 32, and then the Bills finally did it. So everyone's made the playoffs since the yep. league was realigned 16 years ago. So now, now, it's t- now it's time to expand and realign again, I guess. <laughs> Something, yeah, I guess. We'll see. But um, so let's talk a little bit about that playoff game. Um, it was a defensive battle uh, between yes. the, the, the Bills and the Jaguars. Um, not very exciting football. You know, not a lot of yeah, obviously you, not a point, a lot and a lot of points being there, nah. but it's it was a back and forth game pretty much all the way throughout. Yes, yeah, no, you you'd have to be a fan of of one of the two teams to have really loved watching that game. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, you, Jacksonville's defense is out of this world good, and uh, and Buffalo's defense did a really nice job taking I mean, Blake Bortles did not throw the ball. I don't believe he threw for more than 85 yards on a game, but right. uh, he ran, he ended up running for about 85 yards. 
because they they didn't spy him. They ended up they were taking away all his zones. They they were doing a really nice job. They just didn't get to him, and then they had no one underneath when he took off. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a strange uh, strategy to do that, and 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 you know, not to pick at a wound or anything, but it kind of reminds me of uh, you know, not in the same vein, of course, but you know, kind of the same attitude as when the when Bill Belichick went to his defense for the Giants in that Buffalo Giants Super Bowl, super awesome right. game, by the way. But to say that, you know, in order for us to win this game, Thurman Thomas is going to rush for over 100 yards because we're going to do everything to shut down that passing game and yep. dare them to run. And it just kind of feels like you guys were in the mode like, well, if we're going to lose this game letting Blake Bortles run, then that's just how it's going to have to be because we're yeah. going to shut everything else down. Yep. Yeah. And they, they did a nice job on Leonard Fournette. I mean, he ended up totaling a ton of yards, but it, it was on a low per carry average. Um, I, just offensively, they couldn't get anything going. Tyrod Taylor really struggled uh, to, to get anything going, throwing the football, which he always struggled against tight man coverage. Um, LaShawn McCoy, as a result, they were playing eight, nine men in the box. So he didn't have a ton of holes really to work with. So it, it was uh, it was slow going offensively as you could see by the the three total points right and didn't peterman come in the game for a spell he did at the yeah he actually finished it up because uh taylor and i i felt awful because i i knew that it was i, I had a sneaking suspicion that it was going to be his last play as a as a buffalo bill and and he did a real nice job over three years but to have watched him carried off the field concussed was was rough just right. knowing that he was probably not coming back He's the quarterback that broke the drought, whether or not some fans would say, well, he just happened to be the quarterback when, you know, X, Y, Z crazy happened. But mm -hmm. he, st he still was the guy who was the first. I mean, the last Bill's quarterback to start a playoff game was Rob Johnson. So <laughs> so I, when it's Rob Johnson and then all these other dudes and then Taylor, that's that's what ended up breaking it. But yeah, Peterman, uh, he came in. I think he threw the last three passes of the game. He threw a dart that was complete. He threw an incomplete pass, and then he threw the interception to I believe it was Jalen Ramsey that ended the game. Right. And um, just a quick side, you know, uh, aside if you will, where did you fall on the Flutie or Johnson debate that week? Because uh, going into the Music City Miracle. <clears throat> You know, Doug Flutie pretty much got you guys to the playoffs, but for whatever yeah. reason, Wade Phillips just got it into his head that Rob Johnson had to be the starter going into that game. Yeah, and it and it depends on the source too, because some people say that Ralph Wilson put it into Wade Phillips's head that Rob ah. Johnson should be the starter in that game. But the uh, I was I was a hundred percent on Flutie, all like all day on Flutie, and actually I can I remember my father and I talking about it because he was Team Johnson. And I, I was a I was a flutie guy, and then, you know, it happened. I thought it was a mistake. Then Johnson marches them down the field at the end there, where Steve Christie hits the field goal to go up, sixteen fourteen, and I'm like, hey, this game's over. <laughs> no, no, it's not. <laughs> no, no, it's not. There, yeah, there, there will not be any repeats of the Houston game here. It's uh, no, yeah. This time was... the miracle goes against you. Yes. Um, yeah, I was watching that game, and I was—I couldn't believe my eyes when when the actual Music City Miracle took place. It's like there's got to be a flag somewhere. There's got to right. be something. There, there's no way that just happened. You know, the first playoff game of the new millennium, and 
there it is, and that's what happens uh, in the game. It was, uh, you know, it's it's crazy that that happened. It's even crazier if yeah. you're a fan of either one of those teams to for to have something like that happen uh, and for that to be debated even to this day. Um, you know, camera angles and such. You right. can you can see how it's a uh, pass. You can also easily see how it's a forward pass, and you know all the CGI models and everything like that can make it look any way that they want it to. Um, but uh, you know it's it's one of those that will go down in infamy no matter what. I mean, it's oh the, yeah, the play has a name. It's gonna live forever. So that's right. Yeah, but, it, um, it's absolutely one of the best plays that I've ever seen. It just it it kills me because it was. Oh, that was awful. I just right. remember go, going to school the next day and everybody looking at me, and I'm like, don't even talk to me. <laughs> just just don't. Just don't. Right, because being in the middle of Jets and Giants, I was the only Bills fan that anyone knew Right. growing up. So they all came to me at that point. So it was I had to defend my honor a little bit for, for some time there. Yeah, it's kind of like um, when, I was, uh, when I was in uh, middle school, I was the only Hulk Hogan fan surrounded by Ultimate Warrior fans. <laughs> then WrestleMania six happened, and the Ultimate Warrior beat Hulk Hogan, and then going to school on Monday after that. Yep, being, not fun. Being surrounded by a bunch of I told you so's, that was not a lot of fun. <laughs> that one sucked. That, watching that match, that still hurts watching that happen. That's, that one still stinks. But uh, anyway, we move on to the offseason and free agency. And for a team that is locked and loaded and ready for the draft, two first-round picks, um, two, uh, what, three second-rounders, something like that, you guys are loaded for bear and, and ready to come away with a slew of uh, players. But you get through, yep. got to go through free agency first. You sign A.J. McCarron, uh, which is I think is going to be a good signing uh, for I, you guys. I, I think it's a good move. I really do. And then uh, you go out and uh, re-sign Kyle Williams. That seemed to be a big move as far yep. as, like, Buffalo Bill fans are concerned, getting that guy to come back. Um, Chris Ivory, sign him away from the Jaguars. Vontae Davis, sign him away from Indianapolis. All these guys on mm-hmm. one-year deals, too. The, yes. The Vontae and, and uh, Chris Ivory. Um, Raphael Bush, sign him away from the Saints. Uh, Marshall Newhouse, a one-year deal from Oakland. And um, so what's the story with the with the one year contracts? I mean, is it more like these guys are are the bridge between the guys coming up and and what have you? Or what's what's the strategy behind that? Do you think I'm I'm thinking that that must have something to do with it? The uh, the team in 2019 is looking at having a ton of salary cap space because mm. because this year is uh, is almost a bridge year between with the, the former general manager they shed a ton of contracts over the last few years where all of that dead cap money comes off at the end of 2018. Hmm. So like they're still, they're still paying Marcel Darius this year. Oh wow. Um, They're still paying. They traded Cordy Glenn uh, to the Cincinnati Bengals in order to move up uh, Mm -hmm. to, they moved from 21 to 12 and then from 12 ultimately to seven to draft Josh Allen. But they uh, that they're still paying Glenn. There's a lot of dead money there. Uh, I actually think that they have twice the amount of dead money as uh, the next nearest team. I think Buffalo's got like 46 or 47 million in dead money this year. And it's it's all purging bad contracts. So I think what they were probably trying to do was all these guys that could serve as bridges like Ivory's deal is actually it's a two year deal. 
but this year he's making three and a half up front, and I think it only costs him five hundred grand next year if they decide to cut him. So right. from a strategic standpoint, you get him and his age thirty season. LaShawn McCoy is thirty. Uh, there's an out in McCoy's deal at the end of this year, too. I'm not saying that I would get rid of him, but I wouldn't be surprised if they start moving in the in a new direction with a lot of these guys. Kelvin Benjamin is on the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, there's there's a lot of guys in here where the contracts expire, and I think they're looking at like 75 mil in cap space next year. So I, I think they were trying to keep it all this year to give themselves more options in 2019. Yeah, that's a that's a sound sound strategy to be able to have seventy five mil and you know the potential to to add to that if you start cutting some of these guys that you have now like if you let Sean McCoy go how much cap space does that get you and and things like that so there's there's more to be done there because the last few years even the Bears have gone into the off season with say you know fifty million in cap space and then they cut this guy this guy and that guy and the next thing you know we got. We've got seventy-five million in, right. in cap space to play with uh, going into uh, free agency, and the Bears used the money this year. That was for sure. But um, so there's there's your off season. Uh, you tr- you did trade uh, Cordy Glenn, the offensive tackle, to the Bengals, and that helped you get up into position to go get your quarterback. Right. Uh, you also made room for that quarterback by trading Tyrod Taylor uh, to the Cleveland Browns. You got a third round pick out of that as well was um i mean you kind of mentioned it before that kind of a bittersweet move for you yeah i mean i and we at buffalo rumblings we've taken a lot of heat for uh for being tyrod taylor uh fanboys for lack of a better term but i mean i i can say that objectively well subjectively i really like this story i like you know the four-year backup works his butt off comes to buffalo with no guarantees um ends up you know throwing for 9,000 yards running for 1,500 more. Uh, I think he had a, a two to a two to one or a three to one touchdown interception ratio over his, his time in Buffalo. Um, he, he just, he was a class act, really great guy. Uh, one of only four quarterbacks in franchise history to have a plus 500 one loss record. Wow. Two. I mean, it, it's, it's, I think it's Jim Kelly, Doug Flutie, uh, and and him are in terms of winning percentage. It's it's incredible, uh, but they he uh, he didn't do a lot of things that are going to take you to the next level. I mean, one of our other writers uh, one time s- said about Taylor that he made the impossible look routine, and the routine look impossible. Because <laughs> he would like he would throw a ball sixty yards in the air and hit Sammy Watkins on a run with a guy in his face, no problem. But then if you asked him to throw a seven yard in, it, it would be at the dude's ankles. It would be over his head. Like there, there was just no consistency there. He would throw five, six, seven passes in a row that were great. And then he would just go completely off the rails and disappear for, for whole halves of football. We'd, have, we'd sit there and go, wait a minute. We've had four straight three and outs and Taylor is one for three for seven yards in this quarter. Like what, What's happening? Right. Yeah, so it's, it's, it is a little bittersweet, but he's... I think we I think that they're in a better spot now than they were before. Sure. Kind of reminds me of uh Alshon Jeffrey. Uh what you just yeah. described there, the whole uh making the impossible seem routine and then making the routine seem impossible. He did that on the regular. 
in Chicago. Like some of the things that you would see, and of course, that's what most people saw. You would see the amazing highlights. Alshon yep. caught this and, you know, these passes, and you see him go up and use that catch radius to bring the ball down, somehow manages to keep both feet in, held the ball in such a way that when he didn't, he didn't bring the ball down so it could bounce off of somebody's helmet and fall incomplete, and he had the presence of mind to do that. But you ask him to run a 10-yard hitch, the ball bounces off his chest, you know, he can't seem to, you know, he's wide open, the ball can't, hits him right in the bread basket in the end zone, he drops it, the Bears lose, yep. stuff like that. That's not the stuff that everybody outside the Bear, you know, fan base got to see on a regular basis. As amazing right. as Jeffrey can be, as amazing as he was, the plays that he did make, he made just as many plays where he did make something routine look damn near impossible uh, right. at times. And uh, that sounds a lot like him, what you were describing there with the tendencies of what uh, Tyrod Taylor could be capable of at times. Yeah, and I think a lot of the the country's introduction to Taylor, for lack of a better phrase, was in that playoff game because mm-hmm. you had a lot of people sitting there like, "Why is Buffalo, you know, getting thinking about getting rid of this quarterback who's got all these great numbers?" And then they watched him against Jacksonville, and they were like, "Oh man, he really <laughs> wasn't good in that game." And a lot of our, you know, the fan base is like, "Well, this is kind of what happens to him. Like, there's days where he goes." you know, 18 for 24 and throws for 210 and three touchdowns. And then there's days where he goes 17 for 37, and has 150 yards, and he is hitting guys in the ankles all day. So that was that was what happened with Jacksonville. He had one of those bad days on a big stage. And, I mean, it was against a great defense, granted, but that's he is now a Cleveland Brown. And I do I, I wish the best for him because I, I really think he's he's a good dude. He's a top-notch guy. I'm pulling for the Browns, too, um, just in general, uh, just because as a football fan, it gets boring, number one, not only to see the same fan, same teams win over and over Absolutely. again, <laughs> New England, but, um, you know, but to see the same teams losing over and over again, yeah. I mean, especially as a Bear fan, we finished in fourth place the last four years. That's that's that got old after year two, but it's just, you know, yeah. the, the Browns one in 15 two years ago oh and 16 last year i mean come on really come on it's yeah they got to do something something you know something's got to give you got to win some football games because it can't keep going this way uh so i do hope that they they manage to get that thing turned around uh out there and and um you know tyrod taylor seems seems like a good guy to help them right the ship before he eventually has to step aside and and you know give way to baker mayfield uh out there so right. um so we move on to draft night, speaking of quarterbacks that got drafted in the first round. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this to um, to when we were talking about the Jets. Um, this was a night we're expecting flurries and a lot of movement and trades and people moving up and down and, and making deals and everything. And we get all the way to seven before we finally get our first trade uh, of the night. And it's right. Buffalo going from 12 to seven to snag Josh Allen out of uh, Wyoming in the first round. Now, was he the guy that you as as a Bills fan and then the Bills Mafia in general, was Allen the guy that you guys wanted or he was the was he the guy you got? Did you hear rumblings that that's who the Bills were after? You know, what was it like going into draft night with the uh, the notion that the Bills are more than likely coming away with a quarterback tonight? It w- well, it was exciting. I mean, as a as a writing staff, it was all hands on deck. Right. We all we all sat there and we were like, okay, 
So everybody's got to be here. We had all three editors were on call and all like the beat writers were all like, okay, how can we get this set up? Um, Cause we knew it was going to be one of them. We, d- we just didn't know which one we didn't know at what pick. Uh, we didn't know if they were going to stand pat. We were all pretty sure that they were going to move up. We just didn't know if it was going to be uh, with Indianapolis at four or if it was going to be, I mean, we had no inkling on Denver, no clue that that was who they were talking to. Uh, and then Tampa Bay was even more surprising when that's who they made the, the trade with at seven. Right. We were fairly certain that it was going to be one of the Joshes, mm-hmm. whether it was Allen or Rosen. We A lot of the, the big-time guys had been saying that Buffalo loved Allen. So we, we assumed that, uh, that that was a smokescreen. Right. But uh, apparently where there was smoke, there was fire. And, and that was that was their guy. I mean, and if obviously no team is ever going to say, well, we actually wanted Baker Mayfield. But since he was picked number one, we had to settle for Josh Allen. But I, I think they are. I think they're genuine in that in that that was the guy that they wanted. Um, now, as for the fan base, whether or not it was who they wanted specifically, we're uh, Bills fans. We're all over the place. So, I mean, 20 percent of us wanted one guy. 20 percent of us wanted another guy. You know, 25 percent wanted some other. So it, it was it, it's been here, there and everywhere. So Allen has been a uh, a mildly controversial. He was anyway, a mildly controversial uh, pick at the point because there were a lot of there were a lot of Rosen guys. I was a Josh Rosen guy. I won't uh, I won't lie. I was Rosen or Mayfield were my top two. Uh, our draft analyst guy Dan Lavoy uh, came away pretty impressed uh, with Allen. He liked his arm strength, um, but he he was questioning his accuracy, just like a lot of people have. But watching him in in OTAs, I mean, obviously it's mostly videos where he's thrown against air and shorts. But the guy's got an absolute howitzer for a right shoulder. I sure. mean, his, his his arm strength is unreal, and he is he's so far every time he talks, everything that he says has been a hundred percent company message. So we can we could definitely see how he fits in with uh, with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. He seems like a a definite process guy, as we say. Well, I mean, Brandon Bean actually came out um, looking like a genius. Um, not only did he was he able to trade up five spots and get the quarterback that he wanted, um, he didn't have to spend his other first round pick in order to do it. Um, and then right. later on uses that first round pick and, and you know those extra second and third rounders that they had to be able to move up in the first round again and snag one of the hottest prospects coming into this draft. I mean, this is a guy that was rumored to go as high as eight to my bears. And that's, I know, thought for sure that's where he was going to yeah. be. I, none of us, we, you pre-write some of these articles. None of us pre-wrote an Edmonds article because we were like, okay, he's going to Chicago next. That's fine. We don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were completely caught off guard when that happened. I think the Bears took Roquan Smith at eight, right? Yep, we sure did. Yeah, that's he's excellent too. That was the guy I was hoping fell to Buffalo so we could trade at some point. <laughs> but I mean this is a guy that is is um you know has the probably the highest ceiling of anybody in the draft, quarterbacks included. Um he's yeah. the youngest guy in the draft by a lot. And yep. but he's also one of the most raw prospects that is coming into the 
into the draft, but his talent, his size, his athleticism could not be denied. And we haven't said his name yet. Tremaine Edmonds, the right. linebacker from Virginia Tech, is who the Bills move up from 22 to 16 to get him as the second first-round pick of the night. Yeah, and he is so, like we are. We're real excited to see him play. I mean, like you said, he is just—he's a tremendous kid, um, incredibly fast. Just turned 20 years old. So he, he has all the potential in the world, and they are not babying him either, whereas the, the team thus far has had Allen taking reps as the third-string quarterback with uh, A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman swapping back and forth uh, with the first-team reps. Edmonds has been the first-team middle linebacker in off-season workouts from day one. So they are. I think the plan right there is to put him right in, use the athleticism, and even if he's raw, if he makes a mistake, so be it. Let him learn on the go. So they're putting him in the middle. They're not going to play him outside? No, yeah. he's. I think they took him to be the quarterback of the defense. They view him as the guy who will be – he's going to be making the calls. Um, and and the, one of the big keys to McDermott's defense is having a, a rangy middle linebacker who can really go sideline to sideline, kind of like a Luke Keekley right, exactly. that, that he had in Carolina. So yeah. I think that's what he envisions Edmonds as being for him. Wow, that's uh, that's interesting because going into into draft night, it was you know talking about the Bears um, in our three four defense. Buffalo runs right. a four three, correct? Yes. Yeah. So the Bears run the three four now, and that he would be an inside guy who, because of his size, he's six five, and yep. you know you put you pack a few pounds onto that two hundred forty pound frame of his. Having him coming off the edge, he's got the athleticism to be able to do something like that. But in Buffalo. He's going to be the Erlacher slash Keekly in the middle of that yes. defense. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how just where you go changes it up, and it also goes to show how how athletic that guy is. Where somebody else could look at him and say, "Hey, let's put twenty pounds on this kid," because I mean, at twenty years old, he's he's not done growing, which is no. scary yeah. to think about. But he uh, this that he could go ahead and play either spot. It's he's he's really a special special athlete. Yeah, and I, you know, just hope for for his sake that he can live up to what people think like, he's yes. capable of. Like I said, he's got the highest ceiling of anybody there, and that's because of his age. He he's like you said, he's not done growing. He's not done his best football's in front of him. It's not behind him. Yeah. Uh, you know, coming out of college at only nineteen, like you said, he just turned twenty. I mean, there were guys that, like uh, Calvin Ridley that got drafted just turned twenty four. Right. You know, so it's like somehow this kid is coming into the league at 20, whereas Calvin Ridley was just getting to Alabama at 20 and, and, yeah. and, and things like that. So it's crazy how those things uh, yeah. work out, how the, how life can take you on those crazy paths for, for both guys to, to meet at the same point at such different times uh, in right. their lives. Ridley, you know, an old rookie at 24, and Edmonds barely out of high school at 19 getting drafted yeah. into the uh, into the NFL. It's it's crazy how something like that uh, can occur. But um, looking at the rest of the draft, you spent all your second-round picks maneuvering around in the first round to get Allen and Edmonds. You don't pick again until, what, almost the last pick of the third round. Yeah, I think it was 96. Yeah, picked. 96 overall. Harrison Phillips, the defensive yes. tackle, from Stanford, where do you guys project him as far as, like, is he going to be a rotational guy? Could he be a starter for you? What, what's the, well, the, the forecast on Phillips? I think to, to begin this year, he's definitely going to be a rotational guy because not only did they re-sign Kyle Williams, but they also signed uh, Star Latulale, 
from Carolina. They actually right. gave him a they gave him a big free agent deal. I want to say it was five years around fifty mil, um, which the the Pro Football Focus guys would say that's a terrible deal. I think they they had him graded at like a forty eight or something last year. But I'm keeping my fingers crossed that the analytics are are not seeing something that the uh, the football guys are seeing. So I think that uh, Phillips is going to work in as that third defensive tackle in there. And they also have Adolphus Washington, uh, who they took out of Ohio State a couple of years ago. So that that looks to be the top four at this point where they'll use them uh, sparingly. If Phillips is, a, is another guy who's an incredible athlete. I mean, he had 101 tackles last year at Stanford as, wow. as, a, defense, as a defensive tackle, which that's, is insane. That's impressive. Yeah, and he's not an overly quick guy, nor is he overly he, he overly strong. His, his motor is just ridiculous, hmm. and he he's another guy like we. I'm sensing a theme here with all these guys picked. Just a high class, high character, uh, really quality guy. He actually fun social media moment. There were Bills fans uh, that were at uh, New Era Field taking pictures for their wedding not too long ago and Harrison Phillips and Josh Allen happened to be leaving the facility while they were taking pictures. So Phillips and Allen just jumped into the wedding pictures Nice with these guys. So Phillips has just taken right to the climate and right to everything. And he just, he he fits right in there, man. It's I'm, I'm excited for him because I thought I had seen projections of him going as high as a late first, early second round. So when 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 he was dropping and dropping and dropping and dropping, that was that was a guy that we kind of had circled, like yep, that's a Buffalo guy. Yeah, I mean, I my when I talked to my my draft guy uh, and had him on the show uh, previous or prior to the draft, I should say, um, he was mentioning how talent rich it is at the top uh, of the draft. He's like, we could have first round talent guys going as late as the fifties in the second round. So we yeah. can make it halfway through the second round. We're still talking about guys that could get first round grades before we start moving on to who's getting second round grades and, and things like that. And we saw that in a few spots. There were a few spots where, where guys were, were, uh, you know, a half a round or a full round lower, uh, than what we were, they were projected to go, but that's because other guys that were projected to go in the first round, there's only so many spots in the first round. So right. a lot of those first right. round guys went in the second, which pushed everybody down, you know, a few yep. pegs. And, and so that's how a guy like Harrison Phillips, who was, you know, possibly a late first rounder, or you said maybe a second round pick could fall almost to the fourth round, only about a handful yeah. of picks, if that, uh, in left in the third round when he was finally selected by the, by the bills. So yes. yeah, no, that, I thought it was a great pick on their part. Yeah, you see that happen, you know, every now and then. You'll see that, like, how the hell was this guy still here? <laughs> yeah. 96, this guy's still here. I mean, and there were a few names, even in this year's draft, like, wow, that guy was still there. Um, one of them was uh, Lorenzo Carter, an outside linebacker for Georgia, fell all the way to yes, the mid-late excellent. third round for the Giants. You know, this yes. was a guy that I saw in, like, some – uh, multi-round mock drafts going to the Bears in the second round, and here he yep. is in the later half of the third round going to uh, the Giants. Seeing players like that come off the board that late in the draft, it's you know like, well, I guess some teams drafting for need or whatever. This guy continues to fall through the cracks until somebody's like, dude, this guy's still on the board. Let's go out there and get him. And Harrison Phillips just happened to be one of those guys for you, right? 
So you got the, what five more picks in the in the draft? You got a couple of corners, uh, a guard, Wyatt Teller out of Virginia Tech, another Virginia Tech guy, and then you wrap it up yep. with a couple of wide receivers, Austin Prohl, son of uh, Ricky Prohl, yep, and then Ray May McLeod of Clemson. Um, you know any any of the last five picks you get that you're especially fond of? Yeah, I would. The two guys that I was really pumped about uh, Teller. First of all, like it's Buffalo, the offensive line. Uh, to say it's in transition is is being nice. The uh, with Eric Wood retiring and then Richie Incognito uh, retiring, unretiring, being released, and then going a little off the deep end or further off the deep end than he may or may not already have been. Right. Uh, and then and then chipping Cordy Glenn out. So they they are looking at. Uh, it's going to be interesting in there. So to add Teller, who is a big guy with some good mobility, and he's nasty. Like the uh, some of the, the highlight tape that I've seen of him, that guy finishes blocks, and he is not inviting guys over for dinner. Like he, he is running dudes over and and not apologizing for it. So he, he's going to fit right in in a nice power run scheme. Um, and then Prol, honestly, I mean, watching some of his tape from North Carolina. He's shifty. He runs really good routes. He's got good hands. He, he looks like that that next generation slot guy in like a, a Julian Edelman or or a Jeremy Curley mode, where where they just are comfortable in the middle there. And he he could really add an element to the offense that they were sorely lacking last year. And, um, you know, like you said, the, the, to say that the offensive line is in a transition would be an understatement. You pretty much lost the entire left side of the line, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, Glenn, to be fair, Glenn only played in six games last year. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so Dion Dawkins, who was a rookie that they drafted last year out of Temple, was essentially the, the starting left tackle. And he was okay over there. So he'll be there this year. Hopefully he builds on a strong rookie year. But they are, yeah, you're looking at a competition between uh, Russell Bodine or Bodine out of uh, who was with the Cincinnati Bengals for the last four years uh, and Ryan Groy and John Miller and Vlad Dukas. Yes. Yeah. I I love Groy. I he I love him. That's the guy. If I'm them, I'm starting him a hundred times out of a hundred. Just the, the times that I've seen him go ahead and play. He's another one. He's he's cerebral. He's tough. He's got pretty decent mobility uh, as a center. When he replaced Eric Wood a couple of years ago and Wood uh, hurt his leg, he did a really nice job. So that's that's the guy I'm pulling for. But the the middle of that line is going to be rough. Yeah. So I mean that's uh, and that's a, a rough thing to be going through after spending your top pick on a on a quarterback. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> but that's also why you have Nathan Peterman and uh, uh, AJ McCarron to let them take the punishment while the offensive line gets itself straightened out, and then you throw. Right. You throw the rookie out there once that's solidified itself, and he's got uh, the protection that he needs to uh, not suck uh, yes. at the beginning yeah, of his career. I mean, yeah, because there are there are some who would say that you should just let the rookie go out and play his mistakes out, but you also don't want to turn him into David Carr and get him sacked 72 times and right. then just turn him into mush and a shell of himself and it's over. Mm-hmm. So it's they've, they've got to be judicious with it, and I hope that they can – I hope I'm being overly pessimistic from, you know, 17 years of missing the playoffs. I'm jaded still. Sure. But I, I, it's uh, it's going to be tough to put an offensive line out there that's going to be able to adequately protect. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's you know, you, you mentioned David Carr. 
Uh, I've I uh, my buddy used to have uh, season tickets to the Indianapolis Colts, so okay. I, I've been to a few Colts Texans games and um, uh, one in particular in 2006. It was their home opener against the Texans. It was brutal watching <laughs> Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis and they're coming off the edge and murdering David Carr every yeah, two or rough. three plays. They they sacked him at least seven times Ugh. in that game. They hit him about three times. You know, three times more that, and I don't mean ten. I mean eighteen times more. Ugh. You know, this, he was getting hit basically every time he went back to throw, and that yeah, was the year he got sacked, like for the third year in a row, sixty more times or something like that. It was horrible what that what that kid had to go through. Yeah, you uh, can't in, do in the early going in, in Houston. It was horrible um, that he. Uh, what he had to go through. I mean, and God bless him. He stood back there and he took every single blow, mm-hmm. you know, but they, you know, he, it, it ruined him is what it did. So, uh, yes, it was unfortunate. The guy was really talented coming out of Fresno state, but, um, going on to the 2018 schedule, when you got a first look at this thing, you got the, you got the AFC South and the NFC North, which is why we're talking. And, right. um, you know, so looking at the schedule initially, how did you how did you feel about the schedule? Uh, it's I mean, there are it seems cliche. There there are no easy schedules. There are right. no easy games. But I mean, when you look at that, it's uh, the first positive was no Thursday night games. Yeah. And the second positive is they don't travel very far. I, I think Buffalo does 10,000 miles total on the year. Yeah, I think that you and Miami, the furthest west that you travel, because I think you both play, you both play the Bears at home, so you're traveling to Minnesota and Green Bay. So you got Detroit and Chicago coming to you. Yeah, you're going to Minnesota and Green Bay. So the furthest west that you're playing, and also because your your same place opponent from the AFC West comes to you. So the yes. West Coast team comes to you. You guys barely, barely cracked the Mississippi this yeah. year. The furthest west you go is Minnesota. So you and, I believe, Miami, that's the furthest west you go. You pretty much stay on this side of, of, the, of the river uh, throughout the entire uh, season. So there won't be any you know, uh, time difference problems to deal no. with or anything like that. You guys are pretty much playing a 1 o'clock kickoff every single day of the season except for your one monday night game against new england week number eight it's sunday at noon or sunday at, oh it's noon here in the midwest but sunday at right sunday at one the bills are on tv they're playing the game they're done by four and boom it's in the can that's it yeah no and that's i think that that oakland when they travel to london travels more on that road trip than buffalo does the whole season <laughs> that's funny so that's so that's the positive there uh, in that they're not traveling very far and they do. I mean, even that primetime game, the negative, obviously, is that it's New England, but it is in Orchard Park. It's a it's a Buffalo home game. Yes, it is. So they they, they at least have there are some positives in there. The negative is that, I mean, the NFC North is a really good division. Mm-hmm. I mean, Green Bay is excellent. Minnesota had a great year. I love the Bears. I, I love what they're doing with everything. I, I love Trubisky. Uh, the running backs, I love them. Um, I, I think that they're due to, to come up pretty big. And in Detroit, I mean, you can't ever sleep on them because of that offense. Yeah. So it's, 
there, there's nothing easy there. And even in the AFC South, I mean, the last team that I want to see again is Jacksonville with that defense. Right. Um, you've got Indianapolis with a presumably healthy luck. Uh, Tennessee, at least they come to Buffalo, but Mariota isn't a fun guy to uh, to defend against at all. So I mean, it's it's a it's a really it's another tough tough division. Yeah, I mean, you guys, you start at home or excuse me on the road at Baltimore. You see, taking on the. The Ravens give those guys yep. a nice big wet kiss before the game starts for uh, for for choking in that last uh, home game. And, yes, uh, absolutely. Know, they, they got thanks, the Bills guys. into the playoffs, so thanks for doing that. Or or find the guy that was covering uh, Tyler. Uh, what's his name? I think it was Tyler Boyd. Boyd. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Tyler Boyd uh, that uh, let him basically waltz into the end zone on that one. Uh, then you're home for the Chargers. Then you got two more games on the road at Minnesota, which we've already concluded is your furthest road trip of yep. the season. You get that out of the way week three, but then you're back out to Green Bay the following week. So three out of four road games to start the first quarter uh, of the season. And at some and tough none of places. Those are easy places yeah, to play. You're yep. at Baltimore, the tough place to win a game. At Minnesota, which is virtually impossible, or at least it was last year uh, anyway. And then right. at Green Bay, another tough place. Before you have the very, uh, as you call them, the, you know, not easy to defend Mariota in Buffalo the week after that, and then two more right. road games at Houston, mm-hmm. at Indianapolis. So we've got five road games in the first seven weeks of the season. It's a brutal start. Yeah, it's it's tough. And then your <laughs> your reward for making it through five road games in the first seven weeks. Is a home game on Monday Night Football against the Patriots? Against the New England Patriots. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it's like, hey, you weathered that storm. Five road games in the first five, seven weeks. Now take on a very pissed off New England team. Is uh, pretty pretty upset about that uh, Super Bowl loss. Right. And then the Bears come to town after that. So I don't know how that one's going to go. And then you uh, you're at on the road again for the Jets. And then a week eleven. Bye week. Where do you stand on the uh, on the bye weeks? Or is it um, you know like at, at, anyway at, at this point in the season anyway? Because like we have a f- week five bye, and I was kind of a fan of that because we got a new coach, a new offense, we got a ton of new players to ha- go through that first quarter of the season, and then have that week off to kind of evaluate how the first month went, the first four games, what's working, you know, maybe we need to get this guy more involved, so on and so forth. I think it's a good bye week for us this year. What do you think of a week 11 bye for Buffalo going into 2018? Well, you know, and again, this is probably going to sound overly pessimistic, but I think it's a good bye week for Buffalo too, not because of competitive reasons, but because of how rough that schedule is, mm-hmm. I mean, that out of that first eight, I could see Buffalo easily being two and six Yeah, out of that first eight. I mean, that, there's not an easy road game to be had. The Chargers are very good. Uh, the Titans are very good. And the Patriots are very good. Then you've got the Bears on a short week. And who, you said it was the Jets. Yeah, the Jets That's before the week bye 10? week. Yeah. Before the bye. So, I mean, out of that bye, I mean, if you get your 10 in, let's say you're 3-7 and seven going into that week 11 bye, mm-hmm. uh, that's a perfect time to get Josh Allen ready hmm. to go ahead and start games 11 through 16 when there's no pressure and you can just go ahead and let the kid get out there. So I, I think that unless – I think it's going to be A.J. McCarron who is the starting quarterback. 
Mm-hmm. But uh, unless they go into and like, you know, they, they'd have to steal a couple of wins. Like they'd have to go out and steal a win in Minnesota or, uh, you know, go ahead and take care of the Titans. And then, I mean, I'm not even going to sit here and pretend to think that they're going to beat New England. But if, you know, by some oddity happens, you know, the Monday night football gods grace us with their presence. And <laughs> maybe Stephen Hauschka bangs a 58-yard field goal as time expires and they win 24-21. That's about the only way that I can see them sticking with uh, McCarron and keeping Allen off the field by the end of the year. But I, I think that late buy for this particular team is going to work out to get that kid some experience and, and to get him some, some live action before the end of his rookie year is up. Yeah, you might want to wait till week 13 to pull the trigger on that because your first game out of the gates from the bye is against the Jaguars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, would, granted, it's, that it's, is the, that's the bad part. Yeah, now granted, it's late November in Buffalo. It starts snowing in what, September in Buffalo? Uh, maybe. Sometimes it waits until October. <laughs> Sometimes. But, uh, you Sometimes. know, yeah, I mean, you, you could easily have a foot of snow on the field in late November. Uh, right. in western New York, so it wouldn't be too crazy to think that the weather might be able to give you guys an assist against the Jaguars, who are probably coming from 80-degree weather in, mm-hmm. in, in Florida to, uh, to come play you guys. But, uh, you know, just if that defense is even as close to as nasty as they were uh, a year ago, you, you might want to wait till week 13 at Miami to send Josh Allen on the field. Uh, that would be a Dolphins. better one. Yeah. So, yeah, but, but this is this this is a coaching staff that that threw Nathan Peterman out there for his first start on the West Coast against the Chargers, hmm. uh, a defense where we were talking about David Carr getting shellacked. This poor guy got with Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram just bombing him every single play, and he obviously threw you know he completed six passes to the Bills and five passes to the Chargers right. in that half. So it was, uh, yeah. I could, I could see them pulling the trigger. Opponent be damned, and just going for it, and and watching Allen just struggle mightily against <laughs> against a, a tough Jaguars defense. Yeah, and that could be putting it gently if the Jags, like I said, if they're anything like they were a year ago, that game could be uh, yeah. brutal. That could be real bad, especially if your 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 O line in transition is still in transition at that point uh-huh. uh, in the season. It could get especially ugly uh, out there. So. You got that game to look forward to. Then the, you're on the road at Miami, home for the Jets and the Lions back-to-back, then at New England Week 16, and then finish the year out at home against the Dolphins, which is going to suck for Miami, playing in Buffalo yes. on the last weekend in December. Uh, yeah, that's that's going to be... Uh, Kevin Nogle, when I talked to him the other day, not really thrilled with that's with, where that's going to end up for the season for the... For the Dolphins, and, and God knows what kind of temperatures, let alone the right. snow or anything like that, uh, for the Dolphins to finish out the uh, finish out the year. So it seems like it. Aside from the you know Jacksonville and New England games, seems like it lightens up a little bit in those last six weeks for the Bills. Yes, yeah, and I think that could be one of those where they start if they have any chance at making the playoffs, they've got to get into that bye at four and six at five and five so if i could see them finishing out winning a few of those games down the road there those two home games against the jets and the lions back to back are both winnable uh both of the miami games are winnable right but again you'd have to try to steal a game against an angry tough jaguars team 
and against New England at New England. Right. In order to get to, I mean, you can't count on nine and seven getting you into the playoffs every single year. Really, the magic number is ten. You get to ten, you're going to get in. So if you're going to try to get to ten, you're going to have to win five out of those last six, which that's a tall order. Well, I mean, the one thing that Buffalo has going for it um, is that you're in the AFC. And the AFC is such a top-heavy conference. You got New England, you got Pittsburgh, you have maybe a Denver, or this year maybe a Kansas City. And then after that, it's every man for himself at that point. I mean, there's... You know, a year where they can take three out of one division and then the division winners everywhere else, or they, you know, they spread it out amongst the wild card teams and, uh, and things like that. But it's, it's, uh, you know, you can bank on at least two of the, the usual suspects in Pittsburgh and New England, boom, right. always there. And then after that, it's kind of a crapshoot as to who else gets to go. And, um, you know, or at least the last few years, it's a very top-heavy conference where there's a lot more losing records in the conference than, than you see winning records. So it's, as far as your odds, it's not that hard to make the playoffs, but you do have to win in order to get there. Yep, yeah, and then you, if you want to avoid tiebreaker hell, which is where Buffalo, I mean, they finally you know, came up Millhouse in that one, but everything else ended up... Uh, in their favor last year. That's with that nine and seven. I mean, there were so many bizarro tiebreaker scenarios for them to have gotten in there. I mean, the Chargers also finished nine and seven, yeah. beat Buffalo by thirty points, and didn't qualify because it was because it was a three way tiebreaker, not a two way tiebreaker. It, it was just it's madness how that worked out. Yeah, yeah, and for that, and like you said before, we started recording of all the years for the Bills to finally snap the streak and make the playoffs. It happened in a year where they looked like you said, they looked like they were punting on 2017, getting ready for 2018, or God forbid, like you mentioned, getting out of salary cap hell at the end of this year, 2019 being the year that Buffalo really makes a move. Uh You know, know, these are the years where they're actually in, in a decent position to contend, but, uh, you know, they do it in a year where it's like, yeah, Buffalo is, is looking ahead. They're, you know, they're just going through the schedule this year because they have to. And then yeah. 2018 is where they're looking to make a move. But oh wait, we went ahead and won nine games and we're we're hanging out in Jacksonville first weekend in January. How the hell did yeah. that happen? Right. So, like they, that's why you play the games, you know, absolutely. you never know. Good old Herm Edwards. So <laughs> so where do you I mean you you we, you know we talked about what you know that started the season, the first half of it, how it looks you know, things kind of tapering off or at least looking a bit more manageable in the second half. Where do you guys, like you and you in particular, and then, you know, the Buffalo Rumbling staff, what's the consensus on how you think the Bills might actually do this year? There's a lot of ifs, you know. I mean, if A.J. McCarron or whomever plays quarterback comes out and keeps the offense on time, and if the offensive line gels to the point where they're keeping him upright, and they're opening holes for LaShawn McCoy. And if the wide receiving core, uh, which looks to be uh, Kelvin Benjamin, and then a lot of question marks. I mean, second year Zay Jones is 29, 30-year-old Jeremy Curley going to resurrect his career in the slot. Uh, who the heck else is going to play receiver after that? Um, then it's, does the defense take that next step and uh, go ahead and really avoid those terrible stretches uh 
if all of those things come together, yeah, this this might be an eight nine win team potentially mm-hmm. if a couple of things go well. Uh, more realistically, I I think that they'll win somewhere between five and seven. Hmm. Uh, a couple a couple of our guys have gone seven eight nine wins on the coin flip. I haven't seen too many guys sitting there going, "Yep, I think this is a this is a 10-11 win team that's that's going to push New England for for supremacy in the division." There we're not we're crazy, but we're not delusional. Right. <laughs> so they uh you know, so we're we're looking and we're hopeful, but I I do. I think this is the step back before we take that big leap forward in 2019. Okay. All right. Well, it's always nice to hear someone who's kind of grounded when it comes to what they what they think their team might be capable of and also uh you know aware of what's ahead as far as the schedule and the road games that you have when you have them and and so on and so forth that back-to-back minnesota green bay uh, gauntlet in september that's going to be rough and uh you know to to back that up by with a home game against the playoff titans uh after that it's uh it's it's uh, the the nfl did you no favors with the start of your schedule uh this year so going five and two this year uh, like you did last year, would be quite an accomplishment for the Bills this time around. Right. now, And to be fair, at this point last year, when I looked at the schedule, I said, well, they'll definitely beat the Jets. Uh, and then Carolina's going to kill them. Denver's going to kill them. Atlanta's going to kill them. Right. And they'll, ha- and they'll have a shot at beating Cincinnati. So maybe they'll go in there two and three. And, you know, they almost, it takes a, a slightly off-hilter pass that goes through Zay Jones's hands in Carolina to lose that game they pound denver they they end up beating atlanta at atlanta and then cincinnati they never have a chance and they lose and they end up three and two so realistically what the heck do i know i mean yeah yeah it, i mean the, it's the exact opposite happened it, it happens every year um you know uh, a buddy of mine is uh he stopped watching the draft because uh you know he's a bear fan he's like I thought Rich Karimi, who was a, a tackle we picked in the first round, lasted all of two seasons in Chicago. I was, you know, head over heels when the Bears made that pick, and I'm also the guy that thought Brian Urlacher was the worst pick we ever made. <laughs> what the hell do I know? Kind of thing. Right. And it's, you <laughs> yeah. know, you, you hear that all the time. I mean, I remember um, first year that I did the show in 2007 was the year that my buddy and I predicted the 2007 Giants were not going to – we're going to get Tom Coughlin fired mid-season. They were going to be three and three and thirteen, four and twelve, something like that. And it was going to be the biggest, you know, joke in football. The Giants are going to be terrible, and yep. all they did was go ahead and beat the NFL's only perfect team in the Super Bowl and win it all. So I mean, it right. just it like you said, it's like who the hell knows? Who thought the Jaguars would win eleven games last year and make the playoffs? Uh, you know, and all that kind of stuff. They'd been building towards it, and they finally pulled the trigger on it. And then, you know, who in who amongst Bill fans thought last year would happen? You know, going into it, like right. you said, yeah. we they're punting on 2017. We're we're just gonna you know fair catch and wait for 2018 to get here. Like, oh wait, playoff team? What what playoffs? Yeah. You know that kind of thing. So <laughs> are you kidding me? Exactly. So I mean, it's uh, you never can tell. And people, you know, like talking about the Bears and what they could be. Um, capable of this year if that actually happens that would just be one of those things like even you know as a Bear fan I'm sitting here 
you know, I think it would in year one, new coach, new offense, all these new players together, seven, eight wins. I could be happy with that, you know, and it's but right. If, you know, the ball bounces a, a few different ways and we get some of these wins that we shouldn't have won. And we won 10 games and we're we're in the playoffs. It's like, hey, how about that? We pulled right. it off. You never, and you never know. It's it's just how, how the NFL is. That's what makes it so exciting every year there's always a handful of new playoff teams that go that didn't the year before so there's always a fan base that's surprised their team is where they ended up yes sean i really appreciate you coming on uh, i had a great time talking to you uh as we saw uh, yeah, likewise we, thank you for having me as we mentioned a little bit before week nine in uh, dead center in the middle of the season is when the bears uh come up to uh it's not ralph wilson stadium anymore is it no, and you know what? Halfway through this interview, I almost called it Rich Stadium to throw me Rich back into stadium. the, the early That's into the early nineties. Like, what's you know? Because when we were talking about the Houston Oilers game, I'm trying to think. This what yes. was the name of the stadium? I know it's not. I know it's not. I know it wasn't wasn't Ralph Wilson back then, but I can't think of what it, Rich Stadium. That's yep. it. Yeah, it was Rich, Rich stadium. stadium. But yeah, now it's it's New Era Field after oh, the New God. Era Cap Company. Yeah, because yeah. New Era Cap Company. Fun fact: I didn't know. Not being a Buffalo guy, it's based in Buffalo. Huh. So that's that's why they. It was the only since it was a local company. That's why the new owners, the Pagulas, were comfortable removing the Ralph Wilson name and making it New Era Field. Interesting. Well, like we're saying, week nine, the Bears travel up to New Era Field and uh, take on the uh, Bills. We'd love to have you back on the week of the game and uh, see where we're at eight games into the season. How did the Bills uh, weather that uh, first seven games where five were on the road? And uh, you're coming off that New England game. Did you guys pull off a Monday night miracle? Or are you going to be licking your wounds going into that game against uh Chicago, I'd love to have you on and, and see where we're at at that point. Yeah, it sounds great. I would love to do it again. So uh, where can we find you uh, online and, uh, you know, where can we find your uh, your writing and such? Well, all, my writing is uh, it's all on buffalorumblings.com. Uh, I try to maintain a very low social media profile because I am a high school teacher. So uh-huh. I, I try to. Yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll get a whole lot of updates on uh, varsity softball off-season workouts, so you don't want to do that. <laughs> so so all you'll have to do is follow the Buffalo Rumblings Twitter handle, and you can find us through that. Okay, well, that would explain why I couldn't find you on Twitter oh, today. And I have a generic Irish name, too. Sean Murphy is like yeah. Joe Smith, so trying, exactly. to, trying to find me, I'm like a ghost. Exactly. So, Sean, thanks so much uh, for being on. I, I appreciate it, and we look forward to... Uh, Seeing you back here uh, prior to week nine. See what we uh, see what we got going into the game. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again. Thanks again to Sean Murphy helping us preview the 2018 Buffalo Bills, and uh, it was fun talking the, the history and. Uh, that goddamn playoff game, you know. There I was, uh, you know, for, at least for the for the for the playoffs that year in '93, uh, a, a Houston Oilers fan watching them get off to this huge lead on the road at one of the toughest places to win a game, 35 to three. We're on cruise control, and then the bottom falls out, and you watch Warren Moon 
get ousted from the playoffs once again because his defense let him down. It was heartbreaking to watch that football game. And, of course, it's his favorite memory as a uh, Bills fan, as it probably should be for just about every Bills fan uh, that uh, was alive uh, for that game uh, 25 years ago. Jesus, that makes me feel old. But, um, you know, talking about that and uh, the Music City Miracle and, um, you know, the struggle that was the, the, you know, the time leading up to this and, you know, just how crazy 2017 turned out to be when from the outside looking in, you know, to 2017 with the moves that the Bills made, new coach, new GM, somewhat of a fire sale, selling off talent and acquiring picks, looking like, uh, like he said, and like we mentioned a couple of times, punting on 2017 to get ready for 2018. And then they mess around and make the playoffs. It just, uh, you know, you never can tell uh, what's going to unfold uh, in the NFL. It just, the, every year it happens, you know, three to, you know, five or six teams from last year that were at home in January watching the playoffs get to play uh, in into the following year. So uh, we'll see if, uh, if the Bills can repeat the process. And uh, we'll also see if our beloved uh, can join that group of new playoff teams uh, in 2018. So that is going to do it uh, for the Buffalo Bills. So close the book on part number three and we get ready to close out the AFC East when Alex Shane from Pat's Pulpit and SB Nation joins us to talk about the New England Patriots. And, uh, you know, we'll hear how much it sucks to be a Patriots fan or has sucked since, you know, 2000, since Belichick took over and just how awful a run it's been to have to endure one playoff season after another, uh, making it to eight, nine Super Bowls in the last decade. It's, uh, it must be really rough, you know. And we'll talk to him about his struggles and uh, how he deals with the, uh, the constant joy that he gets to live throughout his life and uh, knowing that, uh, you know, you've got a chance to win a championship every single year. I mean, it just, it must be awful. So, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be his therapist. We'll sit down we'll put him on the couch and, uh, we'll talk him through it and, and, and see what, uh, what, uh, what they have to look forward to in, in, in 2018 and, and how they're going to grin and, and, and get, you know, grit their teeth and get through it. So, um, we'll, we'll, we'll try to be there for him as much as we possibly can. So tune in for that, uh, later on this week, probably be on Thursday when that one comes out. Um, uh, maybe, um, yeah, I think say about Thursday is when that one should come out. So uh, be on the lookout on, on, on the Twitter and on the, the Chicago Bears Review Facebook page where I'll keep you guys posted on, on when shows are coming out. And then uh, once we're done with the Pats, we move on to the NFC West. Before you know it, we'll be talking to our friends from the North, wrapping things up with the Bears, and moving on to training camp and the 2018 season. So we're back in a few days with the New England Patriots and Alex Shane from Pats Pulpit. Until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.